0: Colossians, chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. In verse 17, as we talked about last week, uh, we saw that we are called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This applies to every single aspect of our lives, including, as we will see today, our families. The context of following Jesus in our families, in our homes, is so interesting because who we are at home is who we really are. And there's not much opportunity to hide in your living room. There's no hiding, there's no faking, so it can be the hardest place sometimes to take biblical principles and apply them. As we we start, before we read um, our our passage today, I wanted to read the section on the family from the Baptist Faith and Message, um, just to kind of put everything in context of what we believe about the family, which says, God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and His church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God, since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He is the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God as is her husband and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. Children from the moment of conception, are a blessing and heritage from the Lord. Parents are to demonstrate to their children God's pattern for marriage. Parents are to teach their children spiritual and moral values and to lead them through consistent lifestyle example and loving discipline to make choices based on biblical truth. Children are to honor and obey their parents. Jesus is the creator of the family, and Jesus is the Lord of the family, which means that Jesus gets to tell us how our families should work and operate. Basically what's happening here is if you look at verses 5 through 17, this is uh, Paul talking about Put to death these sins, put put on these virtues. He sums it up in verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. He takes all that. He takes putting to death sexual immorality. He takes putting to death covetousness. He takes putting to death anger and lying. And Then he also takes on putting on compassion and humility and patience and forgiveness and love and peace. And he shoves it into our living rooms. That's what he's doing here. In verses 18 through 21, this is the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest... They become discouraged. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the word. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we can receive it this morning. I pray that it can change hearts this morning. I pray that we can submit to its wisdom. God, offer your glory and your glory alone. Amen. So Paul's super direct and makes it very clear who he's talking to. So each verse is a point today. So my four points are two wives, two husbands, two children, and two fathers. Very clear in the text. So we start in verse 18, two wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Before we start, I want to be clear that my email is chad at beachgrove.org. Okay, that's chad at beachgrove.org. Three ways to view this verse. The first way to view this verse is to view it as being destructive. We can pervert this verse to use it as an excuse for men to be domineering or abusive or cruel and harmful. That is one way we can view this verse. And if you have experienced that, or you currently are experiencing that, I am sorry. That is not God's intention with this verse. And please report it to us so that we can get you help. We can also view this verse as irrelevant because there are so many stories of this verse being perverted or um, being viewed in a destructive manner that we can reject it and treat it as irrelevant in our culture. We can ignore this verse because we think that it is odd, or outdated. Some might even go so far as saying that it shouldn't even be in the Bible at all. Now what's most likely, and what I've heard so often, and to be honest with you, pet peeve of mine, um, is we come to this verse and we spend the whole time talking about what it doesn't mean. That we take a verse that's directed towards wives and, and make it mostly about husbands and how they can abuse it. I don't want to do that this morning either. So some treat it as a destructive verse. Some treat it as irrelevant. But what this verse really is, what verse 18 in Colossians chapter 3 really is, it's a gift. This verse is a gift from a good God who desires the best for us. He really does. All of God's commandments are not only for His glory, but they're also for our good. God never commands us to do something that isn't what's best for us. Obedience to God's commands always leads to human flourishing. If you look at Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man That's what God's word does. It leads to prospering. It leads to you being like a tree planted by streams of water. Verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So this verse is a gift. And what it says is, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. First thing I want to say is, or this is like the sixth thing actually, I guess. The, The 17th thing I want to say this morning is... This is not saying women submit to men, but it says wives submit to your husbands. This this verse is not saying that all men are in authority over all women and that men are superior to women, but that as God has designed marriage between a man and a woman, which he has, God has designed marriage to also be a place where the husband leads and the wife follows the husband's Leadership. What we see here is equal value and distinct roles. Men are not superior to women because both are made in the image of God. That's what it says in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he has created him. Male and female, he created them. So there is an equality in dignity. Don't hear the Bible saying that there is a difference in dignity or a difference in value. There's not. But there is a distinction in roles. Husbands are given authority in the marriage by God and they are the designated leader. So what wives are commanded here to do in verse 18 is to submit. Uh, And the first thing I want to say is this is what Christians do. Christians are a submitting people. In the scriptures, Christians are commanded to submit to God in James 4-7, to submit to God's law in Romans 8-7. The church is called to submit to Christ in Ephesians 5:24. Christians are called to submit to the government in Romans 13:1. Christians are called to submit to pastors in 1 Peter 5-5. Um, Christians are called to submit to their earthly masters in 1 Peter 2:18. Christians are called to submit to their parents in Colossians 3.20, to their husbands in Ephesians 5.22, Titus 2.5, 1 Peter 3.1. Then, in Ephesians 5.19, it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Does that sound familiar? Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like last week. And then it says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Based on all these verses I just read, submitting or submission isn't some humiliating thing only asked of women. But in contrast, submitting is one of the essential attitudes and actions of every Christian. We are a submitting people. We submit. So what does this mean? What what does it mean to submit? I want to notice the distinction here in verse 20 where it says, children, obey your parents in everything. So children are told to obey and wives are told to submit, which I believe shows us there is a distinction here that Paul isn't commanding for the wife to take a childlike role in the family. I don't think that's what's happening. The the definition of submission, if you just Google it, would say the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. Submission does not mean that you can never disagree, that you can never have a differing opinion, that you can never make your own decisions. But I want to define submission as putting yourself under the leadership of someone else it's in the it's in the middle voice so submitting is something that you choose to do to yourself so some translations say submit yourself so submitting is something that you choose to do to you and there's a dignity to that you're not getting run over You're not not being subjected, but you're subjecting yourself. Do you see the difference? You are choosing to follow the leadership of the authority that God has placed over you. So the question is, wives in the room, where do you need to repent? Are you constantly arguing, disrespecting, undermining, not trusting? Do you treat your husband like a joke, Do you not follow his leadership on big decisions, on daily decisions, when it comes to your spiritual direction? Do you completely disregard his opinion? Where do you need to repent this morning? Notice here in the verse it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. Two ways to take this. Number one, uh, it could mean... Only submit to your husband's leadership if the leadership is appropriately um, corresponding to God's will, to the Lord. So, therefore, don't follow him into sin. Don't follow him into rebellion against the Lord. Only submit to your husband when it is good and holy leadership. Now, there's another option here. and I think he might be saying the other one, but this is still nevertheless true. Uh, For instance, if your husband commands you not to go to church or not to pray, that is something that you don't need to submit to. And here's why. The husband has derived authority in the marriage, while God is the one with inherent authority. Does that make sense? The husband has derived authority, while God has inherent authority. Let me explain this. The husband gets his authority from God, and on his own, the husband has no authority. But it's a gift from God, the one who truly possesses authority within himself. It's a gift from God. Therefore, the husband's authority can't contradict the authority of God and his word. For instance... um, Grant has been with me for a long time. We've gone on a lot of trips together, and every trip we've ever been on together, he's never been in charge. Um, it's always been me. I'm the one with the authority on the trip. Does that make sense? When I was a former youth pastor. But what would happen every once in a while is I would have to leave the room. And if I leave the room, and things are getting desperate, I will say, Grant, while I'm gone, you're in charge. You see that? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out of the room. In that moment, Grant doesn't possess inherent authority. He doesn't hold a position, he doesn't have the title, but he has derived authority because I've given it to him. In a very similar way, God has given husbands authority in the marriage. But this can also mean that, um, so it's fitting in the Lord. It can also mean that, Um, if you are going to be in Christ Jesus, you need to live as Christ Jesus has commanded you, and it is fitting in the Lord for wives to submit to their husbands. So it's Paul saying, it pleases Jesus to live this way. This is what Jesus is commanding us to do, to live under the authority and leadership of your husband. Last thing here is this definitely shows us um, that submission in marriage is a timeless command. Often people will make the argument that this command just reflects the culture of the day and it isn't a timeless truth that all wives are called to submit to their husbands. Like that's what they did thousands of years ago, but today we have this new way of doing things. We don't live like that way anymore. Um, but Paul doesn't say it's fitting according to the culture, but he says that submission to your husbands is fitting in the Lord. I just want to say this would be so out of character for Paul who constantly bucks cultural trends that Paul isn't bowing to the authority of culture. He is bowing to the authority of Christ and he is consistent to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul's argument is not that wives submitting to their husbands is fitting in the culture, but that it is fitting in the Lord and it still is today. So wives, where are you at with this? Where do you need to repent? Verse 19, the husbands says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Notice that it doesn't say, wives submit and husbands rule. But it says, husbands, love your wives. This also shows us that Paul isn't concerned with conforming to the culture of his day because the command to love For husbands, it never shows up in other household codes in the culture. Like, this is unique to the Bible. You could find other places that say, wives submit. um, Then it would say, like, husbands lead strongly or something like that. But in the Bible, it says, husbands, love your wives. It's interesting because the consistent biblical teaching is that women need to respect and men need to love. Oh, we see in Ephesians 5:33 it says, "However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." I think this shows the basic need, generally speaking, of women for love and respect for men. Love being what women desire, broadly speaking, and respect being what men desire. And also, this shows us the basic way that women and men fall short in these marriage relationships. So, husbands here are called to love. What is love? A biblical picture of love, 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Love this quote, I've read it before by Paul David Tripp. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. So God commands husbands to willingly sacrifice themselves to lay their life down for the good of their wives. So husbands, you are called to serve your wife, and to encourage and to spend time with and to spiritually lead your wife, to sacrifice for your wife, to do things you don't want to do for your wife. You are called to be verses 12 through 15 for your wife. Be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, bear with her, forgive her, love her. Let the word of Christ dwell in her richly because of you. That's what we're called to do. The command is husbands, love your wives. Can love be commanded? Yes, because God just did it in verse 19. Love can be commanded. The word here is in the imperative. It's a command. And if love can be commanded... Love has to be more than just mere emotions. Do you see that? If it was just emotions, we can't always control how we feel, but God commands us to love, which shows us that love is not just mere feeling, but it's this sacrificial, self-giving love with Christ being our greatest example. In husbands, you are commanded to love your wife. So if you say something like, I've fallen out of love, or I don't love her anymore, you are sinning against the lordship of Christ. Because we are commanded to love our wives. So how much should we love our wives? How far should we go? Ephesians 5:25 says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. there is the standard for love in marriage. the determining factor for For loving our wives is not how much she deserves our love. It's not the emotions that we feel towards her on any given day. But the determining factor for loving your wife is how Jesus has loved the church. How Jesus has laid down his life for the church. How Jesus has loved and served and given to you. That is how you should love in the marriage relationship. Husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. With this in mind, it becomes easier for wives to submit to that kind of leadership. Submission to someone who loves you like Jesus loves the church is not a scary or humiliating thing at all. It's a joy. Along with that here in verse 19 it says, And do not be harsh with them should be clear with the first part of this verse, to love your wives. But husbands, just because God has given you the authority in the home does not mean that you get to be a jerk. It does not mean that you get to be harsh. You are no dictator in your home. Because while you are the authority, again, let me say, you are not the ultimate authority in the home. That belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, only God has inherent authority within himself, but you have derived authority. And that's accountability to never misuse your authority. We are called, just like it says in verse 17, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands, we are called to lead in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we talked about last week, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus means to do everything in the sovereign presence of the Lord Jesus. So, therefore... As you lead in your homes, as you, as you have authority in your home and over your family, you're leading in the sovereign presence of Jesus. And that should change the way you use your authority. Think about how you treat your wife. Think about how you love your wife. Think about how you talk to your wife and how you serve your wife. And then think about how you would treat and talk and serve your wife if the Lord Jesus, the sovereign king of the universe, was in the room. Think about the difference there, men. The way you normally treat and talk and serve and how you would do it if Jesus was in the room. And then realize he is in the room. Jesus' sovereign presence is right there in your living room. And we're called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So use your authority, realizing that your authority is right there with you. And think about the lordship of Jesus. Think about how Jesus used his authority. Consider his patience, his servant heart, his humility, his gentleness, his compassion. This is the sort of leadership you should be exhibiting in the home. Okay, verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. You've probably heard this before. As long as... As you're living under my roof in my house, you'll live under my rules. And that's basically the biblical perspective of verse 20. To define children, I think it's safe to say when Paul says children here, he's speaking of those who are still living in their parents' home under their parents' authority. If this is you in the room, you have the command from the Lord to obey your parents' authority. In everything. Should I get the kids back in here real quick? You might want that. Okay, you tell them about it later. It will be on the podcast. Okay, so. Faithful Christian children don't make exceptions to their obedience. You see here he says, Children, obey your parents in everything. Your obedience should not be determined by your preferences, or your opinions, or your mood. But your obedience should be determined by the authority that God has given your parents over you. And God has given authority to the parents. God, our ultimate authority, has given authority to the husband over the wife and the parents over the children. God has created a really clear chain of command over the home. And following God's wisdom here leads to flourishing in the home. This would only lead to blessing and good things. What I mean is God has a plan for the family and God's plan works for the family. And family dysfunction arises when we don't follow God's plan. Therefore, children, teenagers even in the room, obey your parents. What are we supposed to do? Obey. Do what they say. Here's what it says in everything. Why? Look at this. For this pleases The Lord. That's your why. Because if you're, I mean, obeying your parents and everything, that's tough. It can be frustrating. But it says, why do we do this? Because it pleases the Lord. As Christians, that's what we want to do. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. If you're a Christian in this room, that should be the deepest desire of your heart. To please Jesus with your life. And what we see here in verse 20 is to obey your parents pleases Jesus. Listen, teenager, children, anybody in the room under their parents' authority currently, I hope you're reading your Bible. I hope you go on mission trips. I hope you want to do great things for God. But one way that you can grow in your walk with God right now is to realize that obedience to your parents is the way to glorify Jesus in your life. Don't just think about going on mission trips and doing amazing things and, you know, um, all these radical things. Think, if I want to please Jesus, I'm going to obey my parents. That's what Christian children do. That's what we all do when it says in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Your obedience matters. It says in Ephesians 6, 1-3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So you owe your parents obedience, but you also owe your parents honor. So, don't trash your parents. Don't disrespect your parents. Don't talk badly behind your parents' back. Don't talk back. You can be a bright, shining, countercultural light for the gospel if you decide that you are going to obey and respect your parents no matter what. That's how you obey and please Jesus in your life. That glorifies God and will lead to. Questions that lead to gospel conversations. Why do you never talk badly about your parent? Why are you so obedient? Why do you listen to them so well? Now, this verse says to obey your children. I mean, children, obey your parents in everything. This is, a, this, you know, all-inclusive language here. In every single aspect, in every single way. And this is generally true. But also, I do want to nuance this by saying that just as a wife should never sin in submitting to her husband, the child should never sin in obedience to their parents. That the Lord is the ultimate authority even in the parent-child relationship. So a parent also has derived authority just as the husband does. Which means that God is our ultimate authority. With that, if you're a child in this room and you are being abused in some way, that this is no justification for that. Because your parent is under the authority of God. And please, talk to me, talk to somebody here that we can get you the help you need. Um, But parents, this is what you should expect from your children. Because this authority has been given to you by God. Which finally leads us to our last point. The fathers. Which says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now as we're talking about all this, I want to be very clear that my daughter is negative one years old. Okay? Wait, negative one month old maybe at this point in time, right? She's not born yet is what I'm trying to say. So I'm not standing up here as some sort of parenting expert. Does that make sense? Like I am not trying to act like I've got everything figured out and you know, I might say, you know, children obey your parents and everything, you expect that from your kids, and you might say, just wait, right? I get that. But I will say I did take a birth in class yesterday and I gave a A bath to a fake baby. So I feel like I kind of know what I'm doing. (laughs) But. Don't roll your eyes at me though. Because as I hope you can see that everything I'm saying is coming straight out of the book here. Like I'm not depending upon my wisdom or trying to give my opinions. Like I'm trying to say exactly what this is saying. Um, So I'm not trying to share my wisdom or experience. Which I'm really never trying to do. Uh, but I'm trying to tell you what God's Word says. And what God's Word says to fathers here in verse 21 is to not provoke your children. This is very similar to the command in verse 19, do not be harsh with them. you see that? So in verse 19 he says, Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. In verse 21 he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Paul is telling fathers to not be so harsh, so demanding, so strict, that you cause your children to be discouraged and give up, any hope of pleasing you. Or as he says, lest they become discouraged. So if you're always negative, if you're always criticizing, if you're never pleased and never encouraging, you cause people to give up. You can, you can cause your children, as Paul says here, to give up and just say, you know what, I'm going to throw in the towel. This is never going to be enough, never going to work. But instead, Paul calls us to um, parent with wisdom and encouragement, balancing high standards and authority with kindness and patience and gentleness and love. Now, as you can see here, I think it's interesting in verse 21 that he does not say parents, wives, husbands, children, fathers. He doesn't say parents, but he, he says fathers, which might show us that um, fathers are more apt to provoke their children, to discourage their children, to be more strict on their children. But I think what we see here um, with husbands being called out in verse 19 to Um, love their wives, obviously lead their wives in verse 18. And then it directly has this mention of fathers in verse 21. I believe we see here that God's word is calling the father to be the leader of the home. That you, as a father, as a husband, are called to lead the way in loving your wife, loving your kids, and as Ephesians 6 4 says... Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, listen here, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the father's responsibility, to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Being a father in Christ means to raise up your children in knowing God's word. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That is your responsibility, Father, in the home. To let the word of Christ dwell in your family richly. To let the word of Christ dwell in your wife richly, your kids richly. That is your responsibility, so our, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, they exist um, to partner with you, to strengthen what you're already doing um, in your discipleship of your family and your home because we're called to lead the way men. So fathers, in this area, where do you need to step up? Are you being too critical? Are you being too passive? Or are you pushing your family towards Jesus and His Word? Because that's what we're called to do. Okay, finally, in conclusion, submission, love, obedience, leadership, hopefully, through the power of the Word of God, working through the Spirit of God, you're feeling convicted this morning. When we hear the law of God, when we hear God's will for our lives, the proper response is to realize where we fall short. Listen, none of us have perfect marriages or perfect children or perfect families. Not a single person in here has that. None of us men are leading their homes perfectly. We all have areas to repent and grow. But I have good news. That's found in Jesus Christ. If you're feeling beat up this morning from God's word, realizing maybe you never follow your husband's leadership, you never love your wife, you always disrespect your parents, you're not leading your home spiritually, I want to point you to Jesus this morning. That Jesus is our perfect picture of submission, of love and obedience, and we see all of these virtues beautifully displayed through his sinless life and bloody death, and Jesus did this because he knew that you would fall short. Jesus knew that you weren't submitting to your husband, so he decided to submit to the Father's will. He decided to obey even to the point of death for children who wouldn't obey their parents. He decided to love the church so perfectly because he knew that husbands within the church wouldn't love their wives as they were called to love. Jesus knew what you would do, but still he died for your sins. So, you can repent today of your lack of submission, your lack of love. You can repent for your rebellious heart towards your parents. You can repent of your passive leadership. And you can trust in Jesus this morning. And He will forgive you of your sins. But not only that, once you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will empower you to obey this passage. And the Holy Spirit will empower you and lead you to this flourishing that God intends for your family. If you are already in Christ, if you already know Jesus, if you already have the Holy Spirit, today, even still, you can confess your struggles to Jesus. You can ask for strength to change your family. And I promise you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that change can happen. Right here in this passage, these commands imply that something can be done about them. Okay, that wives can truly change, that husbands can truly change, that children can truly change, that fathers can truly change by the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't buy the lie that nothing will ever change in your home or your family. Don't buy the lie that you're too far gone. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, real change can happen. I'm here to help. We're here to help as a church. But I encourage you to talk your family about this passage this week. Have the conversation. Wives, ask your husband, how can I submit to your leadership better? Where do you feel disrespected? Husbands, ask your wives, how can I love you better? Where am I being too harsh? Children, ask your parents. This would be revival. Where am I being disobedient? How can I be more respectful to you as a parent? Parents, ask your children. Maybe you can lead the way here. Where am I being too hard on you? How have I discouraged you? Finally, everyone can ask this of each other. How can I better push you towards letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? That's the place to start. Ask that question in your families. I encourage you to do it. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the word. Father, thank you for this word. God. And I don't know how it's going to apply. I don't know where everybody's at. Um, God, I pray for your will to be done in our families. God, strengthen our families, protect our families. God, I pray that they can glorify you. God, I pray that wives, husbands, childrens, fathers, God, that all of us can do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give us the grace to do that, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that conviction doesn't leave with this room. God, I pray that it can last and it can lead to real change and real growth and real repentance. God, let there be conversations. God, I pray that you you um, don't let people forget this, but God, I pray that your word will have the authority in every single home represented at Beach Grove Baptist Church. God, you have given us a gift with this passage. I thank you for it. I pray that we can receive it in faith. I pray that we can obey in faith. Um, but God, I do pray for every heart here that there won't be... Um, an effort to obey, to earn your favor. But God, I pray that the gospel is so rich in our hearts that we understand that Jesus, you paid it all, that you lived the life we could have never lived. You died the death that we should have died. You rose to life three days later, and you are alive today, able to forgive us of our sins and empower us for change. God, thank you for the truth of the gospel. That's where our hope is. This message today, God, is for us believers, those already in Christ, and I pray that, this word can dwell on us richly and change us and transform us to look more like you, Jesus. In your name, amen.